Have you ever heard a musical artist described as having great chops? What does that mean? Well, the term chops is slang in the music business that refers to an artist that has developed great skills over time, whether they are a musician, composer, producer, or other titles associated with the music business. This is Scott Grimaldi, your host of Got Chops. Join me as I interview one musical artist per episode that I've had the pleasure of either performing, recording, or work with in my career. Plus, I'll be interviewing artists I've always wanted to speak with. We'll discover how each artist developed their chops, listen to their stories, and much more. This is Got Chops. My special guest artist for today is a multi-saxophonist and music educator from Rockwall, Texas. That's him on the track behind me, playing all the alto, tenor, and barry parts on my saxophone quintet arrangement of Respect. My guest holds three university degrees in both music education and saxophone performance. In the field of classical music, he was the principal saxophonist with the West Virginia Symphony Orchestra, and is a current member of the Dallas Winds and the Texas Saxophone Quartet. My guest also plays in jazz and contemporary music styles with mastery and ease, and has performed with artists that include The Temptations and The Four Tops. As of this interview, he has posted 175 YouTube videos of himself playing all or some of the saxophone parts arranged for various saxophone ensembles on a wide range of genres. This multi-saxophonist and music educator certainly got chops. Please welcome Dr. David Wright. Good morning, David. This is Scott from Got Chops. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, For my listeners, this is Dr. David Wright on the phone calling in from Texas. David is an accomplished saxophonist and dedicated educator of many different grades and uh, levels, and we'll talk about that today. So, David, thank you so much for granting me this interview. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Let me ask you, as a professional saxophonist and music educator, what does the music slang got chops mean to you? You know, to me, it it basically means done the work. You know, Um, I see that phrase as uh, representative of someone who that has done the time studying, practicing, performing, you know, basically living the life of a musician or an educator. And, uh, you know, chops to me is just being able to walk the walk and do it with confidence and with a professionalism that everybody will recognize as, you know, ready to go. That's a great answer. 
So where were you born and raised? Um, I was born in northern New York State in a small town called Star Lake. It's up in the Adirondack Mountains, not too far from the Canadian border. Um, and uh, I lived there for quite uh, for most of my childhood, you know. Uh, and then we moved to western New York, and I finished out high school in a town called Newark, New York. That's interesting. I was uh, born in a, a town in New Jersey called Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> everybody everybody thinks it's that, but no, it's a very small place in uh, western New York. Yeah. Interesting. And you currently live in Rockwell, Texas, correct? Mm-hmm. I live in Rockwell, Texas. It's a suburb of Dallas. Oh, it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So when did you move to Texas? My family and I relocated in 2015 so we've been here what is it seven years now wow okay so uh do you come from a musical family um i do uh i mean well let me explain uh you know we have a bit of a musical family my mother you know in high school played flute saxophone and piano her mother was a career choir director a high school choir director well full school and uh so I, most of what I consider of my musical talent came from that vein. You know, a lot of music in the house. My cousin graduated from Crane School of Music, SUNY Potsdam. Her mother, who's my aunt, uh, graduated from the Eastman School of Music with an organ degree. So it's in there, you know, but I had some nice uh, influence, positive influence at home. That's great. And the uh, Crane School of Music, that's uh, very well known, and a lot of great talent comes out of there. Absolutely. Talking about Texas, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, tradition of what a Texas tenor saxophonist is. Uh, That's the area of the United States where you have these really raw, fat-sounding saxophonists like Illinois Jacquette, King Curtis, and David Fathead Newman. Right. (laughs) <laughs> None of which I sound like. <laughs> but but yeah. Have you ever played music by those artists at all? Um, I'm sure along the way, you know, I, I played some things, but you know, I'm more uh my, well yes, probably to answer your question in short, you know, probably yes, but like never really focused on it as like that's what I do. Got it. So at what age did you begin to play and study music? I started at 10 years old. You know, I was just an elementary kid. And uh, since my mom played saxophone, I think my dad did too, actually, for a short bit. It was like, hey, why don't you play saxophone? So I played saxophone, you know. And uh, I just went in through elementary school, took lessons, was in the band, probably fourth, fifth grade. And uh, I even still have the, my first Learn to Play the Saxophone book, like an Alfred publication, and it has the date in there from 1979. Wow. So, yeah, pretty neat stuff. Great. So what saxophonists and genres were you inspired by as a young boy? Well, you know, I had to think. I got to think about that, you know. Uh, that, that I, my, my earliest recollections of, like, something that actually inspired me would be, like, uh, Chris Fadala, you know, from uh, because he was in the Rochester area. Yes. And 
and Jay Beckenstein, Buffalo area, you know, and then I remember listening to David Sanborn, you know, probably who didn't in, in the 80s. Uh, so, you know, that was a little bit of variation, but the Chuck Mangione kind of feel stuff, the Spira Gyra, David Sanborn's wide palette, you know, of things that was all him, but, you know, different, different things. That was kind of where, where I was inspired, which is kind of interesting because, you know, when you're a kid in school, you just play in band, you know, so uh, <laughs> that, that was it. But I mean, you know, listening to those guys, I was like, man, you know, that's really good stuff. At least it was to me, you know, at the time. Oh, absolutely. And all the saxophonists that you just mentioned are very accomplished. Uh, technically, they all have uh, very unique uh, sounds. Uh, they're great readers. So, I mean, yeah, that's a great inspiration right there. Yeah. So you receive the following degrees, a Bachelor of Music Education from the State University of New York at Fredonia, a Master of Music Education from the University of Southern Mississippi, and a Doctor of Musical Arts, also from the University of Southern Mississippi. Share with my listeners what those music educational experiences were like for you. Sure. Um, well, my college journey started, you know, while I was still in high school, actually. I took lessons with Miles Oslin at the Eastman School of Music as a senior in high school. And, um, of course, Miles is a Kentucky, you know, really fabulous saxophonist, educator. Uh, he introduced me. Uh, he opened my eyes. He really woke me up with a real discipline for practicing uh, and man, I'd never seen so many scales in my life. <laughs> he, <laughs> right. he brought out what looked to me like a Bible and I thought, what is this? And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was really my first taste of, Hey, you know, you need, you need this, you need a little of this in your life and a little bit of that. And, um, so I really had to pick up my game. And, um, I did spend two years at Ohio Northern University which I don't talk about a whole lot for whatever reason. And, you know, it was a great experience, actually. It was a smaller department of music, and I was a, both a music education and a performance major. Uh, Michael Bittinger was the woodwind instructor there, and uh, he did wonders, really. He, I just got a lot of playing experience there. I got my first taste of uh, being in a quartet there, and, you know, that, that experience was really great. But after a couple of years, you know, it was kind of a small situation. I decided to transfer home, quote unquote, and I, I went to State University of New York at Fredonia, just below Buffalo. Uh, I went there to study with Lawrence Wyman, Dr. Wyman, and um, that's where I was introduced to the whole classical world of Sigurd Rascher and large saxophone ensembles, and I was in a quartet, and I had world-class jazz program there that was at that time student run, believe it or not. And so it just, you know, I folded into that lots of opportunities and I just, I don't know, my, my saxophone world really expanded a lot. It was, it was wonderful. Um, then uh, after I got done at Fredonia, got my music edu education degree, I got a phone call I was working a summer for a company my dad was working for. You know, you wouldn't believe this, but I was in a truck around New York State collecting uh, core parts for in engines. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just driving a truck. So I was in a hotel, and I got a phone call. I said, hey, there's a uh, Lawrence Guaz that wants to talk to you at the University of Southern Mississippi. And I'm like, 
where? <laughs> you, you know, I mean, wow. where? Uh, and uh, I, I have to admit my ignorance at the time. I didn't know who or where that was. You know what I mean? That kind of deal. But uh, I called him. I'm like, hey. Uh, and I, I learned through conversation. Oh my gosh, Dr. Guaz was a student of Dr. Wyman at Fredonia before me. And he wanted me to come down and audition for a graduate uh, teaching assistant position at the University of Southern Mississippi. So, I mean, I'm like, hey, have have a will, we'll travel. I hopped on a plane, went down, did the audition, got the position. And I'm like, well, folks, I'm heading off to Mississippi. And, of course, you get a lot of wild eyes when you say that. So yes. <laughs> um, I, I went. And I tell you what, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. <clears throat> truly uh, good stuff. And so, you know, Dr. Guaz also studied with Rosher, so I got a whole lot more large ensembles, small ensembles, wonderful uh, education as far as uh, the saxophone is concerned. Um, uh, I, of course, was involved with the jazz program there as well. And um, it took me only three semesters, two semesters in a summer to finish my master's. I really felt like I hadn't been there long, you know, and I met my future wife. <laughs> so uh, life kind of happened at full speed. And I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay um, and continue my doctorate because I also had the performance bug. I thought, well, you know, I have my education degrees, plural. I might as well just get a performance degree. So I started my uh, doctorate in saxophone performance and pedagogy. And, you know, it's all kind of history from there. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's my education in a nutshell. Well, you got the whole package. Uh, bravo to you. <laughs> and I mean, um, you know, what fortitude and dedication and years it takes to do all that. But it all paid off. I mean, you're a, a very dedicated educator. Uh, you're very book smart. And you can walk the walk and talk the talk. Uh, <laughs> to my listeners, when this guy plays, it's Dr. David Wright. When he plays, you can't tell if he's a classical major or a you know, contemporary jazz major. You have a beautiful, beautiful vibrato. You control the saxophone you know, brilliantly. Your soprano chops are intense. Uh, I never hear you falter with any pitch, so uh, you really paid your due, so it's enjoyable to listen to you play anytime. Well, that's appreciated. My pleasure. So currently you are the director of bands at Gaston Middle School in Dallas, Texas. As a music educator, you have experience teaching music courses and instrumental music ranging from public school be beginning bands and every grade level up to including college, covering all genres of music. So reflecting upon your teaching career, what grade and age group have you found to be the most rewarding for you to teach and why? Okay, that's a loaded question. Yes, it is. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, I can say truthfully that all levels have a unique offering okay um i started out teaching university and i spent a good number of years doing that and uh at small smaller college colleges or universities like the southeastern louisiana university i taught there i taught at west virginia wesleyan college for a number of years and you know did the music education and the woodwinds then i ended up um at west virginia university major school of music and i taught saxophone exclusively there and i had 
you know, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral students. It was fulfilling. It was busy. It was a lot. But um, for me, family is the most important thing, period. So when it came time to um, start a family and my wife has a career, we, we made decisions to do things, you know, and we ended up moving from at that time, West Virginia, and we moved back to Mississippi. We had a lot of connections, a lot of good things going there. And, um, and so we moved and I, there was no university positions. So I actually was a music, uh, I took a music position at a very large church and I did, I conducted the orchestra. I started a school of music at the church and, um, that was very fulfilling, but the ed bug just had me, you know, I had to teach, I had to get out into the public schools. So I went to, I left, I think after five or six years or so, I went back to public school teaching as a high school band director. And that is fulfilling. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of meat on that bone. Okay. But after what, five or six years of doing that, and I had young kids at the time. Okay. It was just too much because of time restraints. And again, I'm, I'm going to go back family first. Right. And if I was there at six in the morning, seven in the morning, and I couldn't leave until nine or 10 at night, Friday nights were gone and Saturdays were competitions. I felt like I wasn't being a good dad. So, uh, I whittled that back to, when we moved to Texas, I looked for headband director positions, you know, developing young learners at the middle school level. And that's where I'm sitting now. And, and it's fulfilling. It's just a different fulfillment, you know, start a kid on their musical journey. It's challenging, man. I mean, especially post, you know, COVID and all that lockdown stuff. Uh, but yeah, man, it's all, it's all fulfilling. You just have to find your niche. When I read your bio, um, a lot of it is exactly like the experiences I've gone through. Like yourself, I've been an adjunct at a college in the Bronx, New York for 23 years. Uh, I taught K through eight uh, instrumental music, uh, high school, uh, nice. privately. I'm still doing privately. Our backgrounds are, are similar. I don't have all the degrees you have, but I, I studied contemporary and jazz at Berkeley College of Music. I studied mm -hmm. classical music, uh, classical saxophone. I was a classical saxophone major at Manhattan School of Music, where I studied with Joe Allard. Uh, nice. I studied with some other uh, disciples of Joe Allard and Joe Viola from from Berkeley, and they helped me to you know break into the business. And like yourself, I know you were a principal saxophonist with one of the symphony orchestras, which we'll talk about. I had the same similar thing years ago. I was a saxophonist with the New Jersey uh, Symphony Orchestra, and I still play professionally all different types of shows. And But to hear your excitement and your enthusiasm for everything that you do, uh, I have the same background, and I... I thoroughly enjoyed everything that I've done and still doing. And uh, it's interesting when you talk to someone, and I know you probably get the same thing, when you talk to someone that's just a jazz player and they look at you like, classical saxophone, is there such a thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Sigurd yeah. who? How do you spell yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's true. So it's yeah. like a dog person. Like, uh, it, if you're a dog <laughs> person, you got to talk to another dog person. Don't you find the same thing, especially with saxophone? I do, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy, really. It, the, the, uh, 
the separation of saxophone worlds is pretty wide. Oh man, yes. Um, and if you can sit in the middle, it's a very interesting ride. I'll kind of let let it go there. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and like yourself, I'm sure you're going to agree with me. Uh, the whole reason I was told or suggested highly from my my saxophone professors study classical because of the technique. And that's why your technique is flawless. You're, you're, you have rich overtones. You know, everything you do is phenomenal. Well, I appreciate that. Oh, it's, it's all true. It's, it's a pleasure hearing you play. So um, to piggyback on that and knowing what you play, everything, do you consider yourself now a classical or a contemporary saxophonist? Well, I mean, so here's the deal. I I think first and foremost, I am a classical saxophonist, I think. <clears throat> but that being said, you know, I enjoy it all. I really do. And I don't even think that it's like being a jack of all trades and a master of none either. It's, you know, my main focus through my schooling was classical saxophone, Okay you know, all of the technique and the rigor was based in all of classical literature and the etudes. And, you know, most of what I taught when I was teaching university was getting that vein out there, you know. Um, but all along the ride, I took every opportunity. If there was a a group I could be playing with, play in the jazz program, uh, go out and do blues gigs, you know, in Mississippi, playing on Bourbon Street, being doing Mardi Gras stuff, Wh whatever I could do, I did. And it just opened up everything for me, you know, and I guess I have a good ear. I mean, you know, some classical players struggle trying to switch gears. And I will say that when I started with Dr. Guaz, he was like, all right, we can't bleed one thing into the other. We have to, you can't bring don't take this the wrong way, but like a lazy approach to classical, you can't bleed that over. Right. So we have to figure out how to separate the two worlds. And when you do classical, it's got to be a hundred percent all or nothing. That's right. And then when you do jazz, I suppose, you know, a lot of people think it's just, it's just different. It's just something that's not classical, but I don't think that's true. I think you have a specific technique that is separate, you know, and is there, is there technical things that cross? Yes. But if you want to sound <laughs> like, you know, a professional commercial player or a professional, you know, jazz player that does like quartet gigs and stuff and plays standards, there's a lot of work. And it is not, you know, it, it's not the same, at, you know, so uh, answering your question, trying to circle back here. Um, yeah, so I, I don't I, I think I'm first and foremost a classical player, but I work extremely hard at when I play anything else. I, I don't want to sound like I'm trying hard to do that. You know what I mean? Again, you close your eyes. It's like, OK, yeah, this guy's a jazz player. Oh, and he plays uh, classical. Oh, that's a classical player. <laughs> and I keep telling my students, OK, yes, you, you switch from classical mouthpiece to a jazz mouthpiece. That doesn't make you a jazz player or a classical player. It's right. your armature, your aperture, your, you know, your oral cavity, your diaphragm, you, your tonguing, you know, all about the above. But, yeah. you know, you haven't, I, I think the thing is, 
uh, that we share in common is that we have an openness to, oh, wow, man, that grooves, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Mio, you know, Darius Mio is grooving. Uh, oh, the um, that funk groove is grooving. Oh, geez, mm-hmm. listen to that sound. Oh, I know where he's putting his tongue. Oh, I know where, you know, what he's doing. Right. So, and when you talk to some people that just play cl- classical or some people that just play jazz, if their ears are not open, you know, they, they can't even venture into it. So, yeah, they can't compute. Right. That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They feel guilty if they do. <laughs> that's right. you're right about that yeah. right they're gonna get struck down <laughs> so <laughs> i know you play all the uh saxophones the typical soprano alto tenor and barry do you also dabble in the extreme size saxophones um like the uh smallest like the uh for people that don't know there's a thing called the soprillo uh sopranino mm-hmm. uh, the bigger saxophones like the bass the contrabass or the two backs I, I dabble. Yes. Um, I, I have to thank Paul Cohen, uh, in New York for lending me a Sopranino, uh, during the pandemic when we're all locked down, I recorded a few pieces that were written and then included Sopranino and I I hadn't ever played. I mean, I'd held it and tooted on it a little bit here and there, but you know, I had to get serious about it. If I was going to put something out, (laughs) I had to say, okay, you know, and, um, so yeah, I, I play Sopranino. I have blown on a bass once or twice, but I've never even had my hands on a Contra. Um, so I've kind of left that up to my colleagues, you know, uh, especially Charles Gray, who lives in New York. We've done quite a few videos together, pass alongs. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I enjoy playing all the saxophones I can get my hands on, but that's, that's pretty much been my, my biggest experience with something other than SATB was the Sopranino. Right. Okay. Well, you're going to appreciate this if I can piggyback on what you were just saying. Um, years ago, I was an, an artist endorser for a saxophone company uh, like you are, you are now uh, called LA Sax. Have you ever heard of yeah, that? Okay. Absolutely. They were the first ones to colorize the saxophones. So I was uh, one of their artists and endorsers and day clinics for them and whatnot. And um, they sent me uh, a Sopranino. I said, oh, this is really cool. And I liked it. So I was looking for different mouthpieces. I didn't like the mouthpiece that they had. So of course, like yourself, you know, we're connected to Paul Cohen. Uh, And for those of you who are out there who don't know who Dr. Paul Cohen is, um, he's at Manhattan School of Music and like 20 other conservatories and universities around the country, right? (laughs) Not making that up. (laughs) (laughs) And he has every known saxophone that was ever invented. Uh, Not just one, he has many, and he's one of only 10 people in the world that own a contrabass saxophone. I think he has two. I don't know. Oh, please don't start. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I said, okay, well, let me call him up. I says, I've got a Sopranino from L.A. Sax. I says, I'm looking for different mouthpieces, you know, ligatures. He says, yeah, come on up. So I go there. Now, Sopranino is, you know, an odd instrument that not everyone has. And as working saxophonists, well, you have a saxophone. You acquire it because, oh, I have a chance of working with it or I really enjoy this. So you put your money into that. So I go up to him and he says, okay, he says, uh, go in that room there open that drawer and he's got like 
I kid you not, you know where I'm, I'm going to say. He's got like yes. 150 uh, oh Sopranino mouthpieces. Yeah. He says, oh, open the second drawer. More, more, Surprise. more. And then he says, oh, let me see your Sopranino. Okay, open that drawer there. He doesn't oh have gosh. one. He doesn't have two. He, he's got more than a handful. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, I don't have that. <laughs> right, right. I know it was with the Sopranino that I borrowed. He's like, well, I have this brand and that brand and that brand, like twelve of them or thirteen of them or something. So you know, he landed on. Well, I think you were gonna like this Yanagisawa, yada yada. And I was like, okay, <laughs> just fantastic, you know. So your performance credentials include three years as the principal saxophonist with the West Virginia Symphony Orchestra, and most recently as a member of the Dallas Winds and the Texas Saxophone Quartet. Please share with my listeners a cross-section of repertoire you have performed with these ensembles, especially when the West Virginia Symphony Orchestra program works that require a classical saxophonist. Okay, well, notably, you know, as an ensemble soloist, I played Mussorgsky's uh, pictures and exhibition. I played the Mio creation of the world um, in a chamber setting uh, with the strings. I premiered the Greek composer Spiros Mazis concerto for alto saxophone and string orchestra. Wow, that was that was fun. Um, there were other performances with you know pop features, so I don't recall specifically, but you know like pop concerts. So there would be saxophone uh, things you know in there. Um, then at that time, <clears throat> when I was there, West Virginia Symphony personnel manager and principal clarinetist Bob Turiziani was the conductor of River City Symphony Orchestra, which was based out of uh, Marietta, Ohio. <clears throat> and I had the honor of performing the Glazunov Concerto with them. So, you know, I was pretty busy. You know, it takes it's it, they 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 do a good job of utilizing saxophone uh, consistently. And it was just a good time for that. But um, here in Dallas, I do play with the Dallas Winds and the uh, Texas Saxon Quartet, um, which are both, you know, world-class ensembles, man. It was just moving to Dallas has really given me opportunities to connect with wonderful musicians here. Wow, that's great. What a great opportunity. Uh, Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, program music that requires saxophone, uh, most notably are the the Bernstein and other contemporaries. Uh, I was very fortunate I don't know if you know this name, Danny Trimbley, but uh, Danny was a disciple of Joe Allard, who I studied with. Uh, and Danny was with Leonard Bernstein for 10 years. And he was the one that recorded the West Side Story saxophone solo, among others nice. that Bernstein did. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm in the presence of someone that <laughs> did it. Right. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, I mean, to be that fortunate to be a, a classical saxophonist to also work with Frank Sinatra and do every Broadway show that came to, t- to town. And as a doubler, uh, you, you know, you're very fortunate to work with, you were fortunate to work with a symphony that would program saxophone quite often. Uh, yeah. That's great. What are the other commercial musical artists that you've backed up outside of classical? Well, over the years, I've, again, been really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and just lots of opportunities i've many many times i've played with like the traveling temptations four tops they've you know they're they're out there because i spent a lot of years in mississippi you know and in the new orleans area and there's a lot of casinos 
So these groups typically come in and play, you know, multiple shows. Uh, and so I've played with Temps, Four Tops, Frankie Valley, Four Seasons, the OJs, I don't know, Mary Wilson. Uh, I don't know. There's just a lot of really good music and uh, fun shows, fun shows. One more thing we have in common. Every, every artist you just named... I still work with when they're on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Great stuff, right? I mean, the charts are just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, and playing in the pocket with that stuff, and you have to have a certain sound. And uh, I always end up underneath, I, I swear. I, 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 so most of the time, I'll play, you know, lead tenor or something. And they put me right on the end. Yeah. My right ear is right next <laughs> to the drummer, man. And that guy, I don't know his name. <laughs> It's just bang, bang. For many years, I was the uh, solo tenor saxophonist and then the uh, first tenor uh, with the doubles for Aretha Franklin when she was on the East Coast. And Mm -hmm. the sound check was always the same thing, right? As you just said, you're on the end, you're right next to the drummer with the plexiglass, but it means nothing. And all you would hear, boom, boom, well, it's rimshot heaven, and I honestly, you know, you want to know the truth of the matter. What I really think, I think that he's looking at me, going, "How far can I tweak? <laughs> you know, how, how much can I push this guy to see his reaction?" Honestly, I swear, I think that was really going on. It's kind of a a fun thing for him to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, we we all have those thoughts. It's amazing, and then. You probably find the same thing that I found even to this day. You get to the show, and guess what? That yeah. meant nothing because the volume went up a thousand percent more. <laughs> yeah, but you're so into it. It's just, it, it doesn't matter anymore. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one thing to play an Aretha Franklin tune on a, a wedding, but when yeah. you're there with the right, you know, the real person, the real McCoy, oh, yeah. you're like, Absolutely. oh, man. Like I said, oh, the Darius Mio grooves, but man. This grooves <laughs> unbelievable, right? That's absolutely true. So the next time, let's do this. Um, next time you're working with them, just write somewhere on the back of the music, really small little print in pencil. Hi, Scott, how are you? <laughs> I'll do it. And then I'll do the same. Hi, David, how are you? And we'll date it. That sounds great. That, <laughs> done. All right. And then he, the arranger, conductor go, who the hell's doing this? What is this? <laughs> That's great. All right. Twice in your career, you were the featured artist in the Saxophone Journal magazine. Share with my listeners what it was like to have such great worldwide exposure in the saxophone community and what opportunities it opened for you as a performer and educator. Well, you know, it's nice to be recognized, you know what I mean, and ask substantive questions. You study hard, you work to get a body of work out there and... I don't know, just to be able to share your knowledge and experiences is a great honor. And I I don't know if it, you know, either of those things really improved my career to say, but for me, it just felt like uh, an accomplishment, you know, Hey, you know, someone's listening and someone's uh, recognizing that I've done some work, you know? So that's right. That's, <clears throat> that's kind of the way I feel about that. That's wonderful. Well, bravo. That that's great. You know, um, and for the, again, my listeners out there, uh, the Saxophone Journal is like uh, the downbeat, you know, jazz magazine 
you know, in the saxophone world or a guitar player magazine or, you know, modern drummer, if you're in that, it's like, wow, okay, you're at the top of your game and people need to know who this person is. So beginning in March 2020, when COVID-19 pandemic shut the country down, you began to record and videotape yourself on YouTube playing various saxophones and genres and occasionally collaborating with other saxophonists as well. As of this interview, unless I miscount it, you continue <laughs> to do so and currently have 174 posted on YouTube. <laughs> I saw the, the latest one that you posted the other day that was really cool. So what was or is the motivation for this musical project? Well, the truth be told, my original motivation was boredom. I'm not kidding you, man. COVID. We're <laughs> yeah. I mean, being locked down as a performing musician was tough. And I was actually curious, you know, when you're sitting around, uh, you float on your phone or you're doing whatever. And I, I, at that time, you know, there was a lot of people using this app called Acapella. That's right. I have and it. Yep. I, yeah. And yeah. I did a couple of experimental things with that. And I thought, okay, you know, this is kind of cool. And uh, then I, I just kind of, it kind of blossomed into using GarageBand because I have an Apple laptop. <clears throat> and um, and I thought, man. And so after a while of doing, uh, going from like duet stuff to quartet stuff, I talked to my friend Charles Gray in New York, who I mentioned before. He and I have been buddies since since Fredonia, and he owns a bass, and he's really close to Paul Cohen. He plays contra a lot, and I'm like, hey, you know, let's why don't we try to do some multi tracking? So I continue to do my multi tracking by myself, but I expanded into doing larger things and we knew we're not trying to get money or even popular from it. We, we, we enjoyed it. It was our release. It was our opportunity, but it's also, I use it as a vehicle to engage in practicing and being accountable for keeping my chops up, you know, and even though it wasn't a live audience, it was still out there for everybody to see and basically judge. So I knew that I had to have a certain standard, you know what I mean, that to be able to put it out there. Well, it's fantastic um, to all my listeners, uh, whether you're a saxophonist, a musician, um, a listener, whatever, you got to check the stuff out. We'll talk a little bit more about this later. So continuing with this project that you have, do you have a target goal of how many videos you aim to post? <laughs> no. Um, you know, the sky's the limit. I, I don't, it, it could be one more. It could be a hundred more. I, I, you know, I just maintain the attitude that it's good for my mental health, you know, and I enjoy it. So it kind of comes to me in waves where I'm like inspired to do something or I get a piece of music or I hear something and I'll transcribe it or, or whatever. And I just kind of go with it there. Like I've, I'm about to do a bunch, well, I've already recorded and have ready uh, a bunch of Christmas things, you know, because it's coming up in the season. So, and I started with yours, man. I mean, you know, uh, for, for Hanukkah, you know, uh, I have a little dreidel and that was a lot of fun. Well, thank you. So I'm going to have some things coming out like that soon.
What is the most viewed saxophone video you've posted so far? Well, I I think it's the Symphonia for Saxophone Choir uh, by Steve Cohen. Uh, that was real fun. That was for a very large ensemble, and that I played Sopranino on, and it went all the way down to contrabass. Great. And that was kind of interesting. I think the reason, well, number, number one, it's a wonderful piece of music, but I think what catches everybody is we decided to, when we made the video, we sat sideways. And so when you're looking at the video, you get a side view of what the saxophone looks like, right. size comparison to us. So you not only have a wonderful piece of music and it's just, it's really wonderful, but you get the visual. You're like, man, you know, that's what that contra sounds like. That's what the Sopranino sounds like. So, right. And, um, I think the next, and it's, this kind of goes to the different kinds of music that I've got out there. The, that's number two, I think is Trower Marsh, uh, also uses contra number three. I think I remember is the Corel, uh, Mississippi rags. It's a quartet piece. It's real popular. Yeah, That's really great. And then um, I transcribed a whole slew of uh, tunes from the soundtrack, from different soundtracks of Korean <laughs> soap operas, you know? Wow. Uh, good pop stuff. And there's this one Korean artist uh, group called Crush, and it's um, from a program called Crash Landing on You. And anyway, I transcribed the melody onto tenor, and that's like number four. And so th- it, it goes from a full saxophone choir down, you know, to something that's just a pop tune and then whole suite in E E flat, the third movement, the March is like the fifth number five. So it's a pretty, pretty wide cut of, of things, you know? Yeah. You've got such a catalog. So these are all pieces that you've either transcribed or you've purchased and you have in your library. Yes, correct. So let me tie this in. So do you remember when we came in contact with each other years ago? I sure do. If you could tell my listeners about it, and then we'll tie in the uh, YouTube videos. I remember, I think we talked via email and we talked on the phone, you know, because I, I, boy, you know, I don't remember the name of the piece that we were talking about, but I knew it was your arrangement. And so we had a nice long conversation about them. And these quintets were just fabulous. And I was looking for you know, funky, pop, whatever kind of things to just to really sink my teeth into. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that was our first of many. I think I've done four or five or six of your, maybe more. I even did a a classical quartet one. Um, Oh, that's right, right. I can't remember. It's leaving me at the moment, but... um, Anyway, it just yeah, we've had we've had quite a long, quite a few years of, of contact. And back then, I think you purchased a couple of charts from me, uh, the funk mm-hmm. uh, sax quintet charts. I guess for performance because YouTube wasn't even the picture. So now, um, because then you did contact me again at the start of COVID, when you started posting all the stuff about uh, you know the other. Uh, quintet pieces that I have for sax and if it was okay to post it on YouTube I says absolutely so you've posted some out, outrageous stuff and I thank you <laughs> so much for you know taking my music and playing it with such expertise you know as a saxophonist first of all I, I admire what you do appreciate and respect what you do but as an arranger uh, the biggest thrill is when 
uh, someone says, okay, uh, can I purchase this music from you? And it's either they um, go through the different publishing companies that, you know, my music is available or something they, they heard I uh, created and sent it to them. Uh, the, the greatest thrill is when I listen to the end product from you and I start smiling because every little inflection, every dynamic articulation, it, you know, it's like, wow, yeah, you, you nailed it. You, you, you absolutely <laughs> nailed it. And it's like, pff, what a pleasure. So I can't thank you enough. You, you do such justice to my charts. I thank you. I appreciate it. In addition to being a professional saxophonist and educator, let's talk about your affiliation as an artist endorser and or educational specialist for such well-known saxophone companies that include P. Moriad Saxophones, Con Selmer, mm -hmm. and Drake Mouthpieces. Well, all of these things kind of happen organically, you know, as time went on. But as a musician, performer, you know, you meet a lot of people and you introduce to a lot of people and that leads to more people. <laughs> and um, for a good portion of my career, I played like a 1930 con alto. I, I loved that thing. I still kind of regret selling it. But, well, you know, and so I also played Selmer uh, soprano and tenor and and so uh, back 25 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, I started having a really nice relationship with with Con Selmer because of the Selmer and well, and the Con. And um, that was a long relationship. And I don't know, you know, things just progress and, and maybe you want something different or whatever. And I kind of went through a phase on Soprano or I went to Cannonball for a year or two and then I went to Yamaha. And I just was looking for something. I don't know what it was, but I wasn't finding it. You know, I even tried the the 1920s, 30s American makes, and I just couldn't find what I was looking for. Well, anyway, long story short, I ended up with a P. Marriott in my hand, a, a, a soprano, and it just it just hit me. I don't know. You know, when you find, everybody's different. Everybody has yep. what, what fits them, right? Yep. Like I, I can't explain it, and I never try to sell somebody on something. I don't. Because you can't. I mean, it's like it's very personal. And um, <clears throat> anyway, I, it it just it just I don't know. The the stars aligned, and I, and I really love that instrument, and I've been playing it for about ten years now, really. And um, through conversations with Marriott USA, you know, they 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 loved what I was doing, and uh, they made me an artist, really. Wonderful. And <laughs> yeah, and I play their alto and tenor and I just, just wonderful instruments. So, I mean, that's, that's basically what that, that is. And Drake mouthpieces. Um, I love them. I mean, I've played a lot of different mouthpieces, but uh, you know, Aaron's down the road from me here. He's only a, a few hours away and I've been to his shop. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've stopped into his shop and I've, I've tried, I've played almost everything he makes, you know, and trying to find that one little thing it's it's different for everybody really you know i don't sound like someone else on the same mouthpiece so you have to find the nuance and i'm fortunate that aaron has like a ton of different models you know so i just try 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 and i finally landed on things that again connect with and um his stuff is premium i i will say that again i'm not trying to sell anybody on something but I'm not going to lie. It's just every mouthpiece I've ever played from him has been automatically good. And uh, it just, you know, that's 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 my uh, that's my piece on Drake mouthpieces. It's just just wonderful. Well, if I could piggyback and add to that as well, uh, a few things here. Um, 
Yes, his mouthpieces are just exceptional. He is such a crafty person. You know, he's a craftsman. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. a great saxophonist. He is a great doubler. I don't know if I told you this. If I did, just stop me, please. Aaron <laughs> um, was here in New Jersey a number of years ago. And when I was teaching, you know, K through eight, um, this is when we became friends. And it's funny, I think one of the first gigs we did together in the saxophone section was with the Temptations and Four Tops. Uh -huh. uh, so we did a lot of those shows here in the section. We did a, a, a number of summer um, music uh, amphitheater shows, you know, a, you know, exact Broadway show uh, scores. He's a brilliant player. And back then we became really close and I used to throw him a lot of my saxophone students, uh, flute and clarinet students from the school I was teaching at, and he would teach them privately. And he calls me one day and he says, Scott, he says, I'm just, I'm just fooling around with some uh, different materials and I've, um, I'm thinking of making some uh, mouthpieces. He says, do you mind if um, you know, our, our uh, kids you know, try some of these mouthpieces? Absolutely, go, go for it. And my kids were playing his mouthpieces, you know, um, in the very primal stage. They sounded great. I says, Aaron, you're onto something. This is amazing. Yeah. Then uh, we went out to dinner one night, and uh, he says, I've, I want you to come on over to the house. He was making these ceramic flutes. Oh, wow. It, you gotta, he's got to show it to you. It's unbelievable. Uh, great, great player, you know, craftsmanship. And then he moves to Texas. And then the next thing I'm reading, one of the music trade papers, Drake Matthews, is, is that Aaron? And mm -hmm. I you know, came in contact with him again. And as a matter of fact, he was my second Got Chops um, podcast guest uh, last year. Nice. So we stayed yeah. in contact. And then all of a sudden, when I saw that you did one of my saxophone quintet, pieces and you were endorsed by drake mouth he says i think i brought to your attention that we knew each other and then right. he contacted me he says man i didn't know that you knew a david Wright." man he says oh i love that chart and man he's a great player <laughs> you know it's like uh, you said contacts you know it's um right you know everyone knows each other in this business where you know develop these big contacts is so important to do that so wow Wow. <laughs> Next time you're at his house, have him show you the uh, ceramic flutes. They're really great. I will ask. <laughs> so in order for my listeners to get a sense of who you are as a multi-saxophonist that can play in many different styles, please pick two or three other tracks from your catalog of YouTube videos that I can filter excerpts into this interview as you talk about them now. Okay. Well, I mean, I think I'm going to play it safe and use my top five because that seems to be connecting with people. Um, so like number one, like we said before, is the Steve Cohen, Cohen uh, Symphonia for Saxophone Choir. Um, what can I say about it? I mean, I just think it's a, a wonderful piece of music. Um, and, you know, I think because I play sopranino, soprano, and alto on that, I, I don't remember if I played tenor on that or not, but you know, it just, that kind of music, it just really is my, uh, is my lane. Yes. You know, I agree. And so I, I, I'm proud of that piece of music, uh, the performance anyway. And, uh, so that it does sum up a good portion of who I am as a saxophonist, you know, a classical collaborator. Um, and 
you know, more or less high voices. I mean, I, I play baritone and, and tenor. I love tenor. Uh, but uh, I don't know. That kind of speaks to me. Another piece might be, um, well, how about number four, right? That that song that I transcribed from Crash Landing on you, that Crush tune called, uh, what is the name of it? Um, oh my gosh, I, I forgot the name now. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's a pop tune anyway. And so it's just very um, open. It's uh, ten, solo tenor. And I just think it's a wonderful piece of music. And so there's the other side, you know, where I can play or I'm playing contemporary tenor uh, with uh, it's it's a jazz pop commercial sound. And uh, it's kind of raw, you know, it's it does have a backing track, but it just uh, it just hits me in a vein. I love that stuff. I just absolutely love playing commercial music. And um, so that, that is another part of me that I just really, really enjoy. And then anybody who goes to my YouTube channel and they see all the quartet stuff, I quartet's been with me since like 1987 when I got my first real quartet. I played, you know, in quartets in high school, but you know, like Dixieland stuff and that. But when I went to college, 
and I got in a, in a quartet with other college students and it became serious about what you do for two or three hours a day. You know, I, I've had a longstanding love affair with saxophone quartet music, you know, playing literature. So, you know, I, I really, I'd invite anybody to go on to my, uh, my YouTube channel and uh, just check through it. There's a lot of different styles. I tried to create playlists that, you know, if someone doesn't really, you know, not so much into the classical stuff, maybe they pop or maybe jazz or, you know, that kind of thing. Do you have any life philosophies or catchphrases that you live by? Yep, this one's simple. It's family first. <laughs> it's family first. Uh, everything I do is family-based. I've changed my career path for my family, and not grudgingly. You know, it, it's just it is just what I do. And so, if it doesn't fit with my family plan, it, I'm just going to do something different. And um, I'm very fortunate. My wife is a musician as well. Uh, she's a violinist. And so there is a empathy, <laughs> you yes, know, for, right. the, for the thing. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, my kids and my wife are absolutely number one for me. So uh, for me, family first, that's my philosophy. That's excellent. And as um, most musicians can attest to, uh, you're very fortunate like if you're like David and myself that have wives that understand what you do as a musician and True. or if they are a musician themselves, uh, that makes things uh, a lot easier because a musician doesn't go to work nine to five. Well, if you teach during the day, yes. But like David and I, <laughs> I'm sure you're in the same situation where you came home and say, oh, I got a rehearsal tonight or yes, I have to um, go back because I'm preparing the uh, students for a competition, a state festival. Exactly. Uh, oh, I've got a gig with the uh, saxophone quartet Saturday, and they're having a rehearsal tonight. Oh, I just got a gig to play for a funeral, uh, right? Uh, so, or I, I just got a call to play with the Four Tops. It takes time, yeah. And there goes the weekend. Well, I thought we're going to go pick out a tree this Saturday. Yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I really want to do that. But, you know, again, this is a, a great connection, and you make that decision. Or... Okay, been there, done that. I don't need to do that again. I've done a lot of that recently, too. Yes, yeah. And as you get older, that's what happens, right? Yep, it's becoming easier. At first, it was like I didn't want to. It was like a kid with a piece of candy. They yes. wouldn't let go of it, you know, and it was like you will you will peel this out of my dead hand, you know. <laughs> but uh, anymore, I've said no enough to enough things where those calls stop and it took a while to get used to that thought, you know, but um, it's the best thing for me at this point in my career where I am um, playing what I want to and not the stuff that I don't need to. You know what I mean? Right. And, it, you know, what's drilled into us as professional musicians is when the phone rings, you pick it up. And before you say right. hello, you say, I'll take it. <laughs> there, there, I had a large chunk of my life where that's what it was. Right. Yeah. And fortunately, the, both of us don't have to do that. Say, okay, um, let me check my schedule. Do you have any upcoming live performances or projects you'd like to announce? I am in the beginning stages of planning the creation of a new large Saxon ensemble here in Dallas. Wow, wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm working with Don Fabian, uh, and we are looking at, um, you know, putting together a ensemble comprised of professionals and maybe, you know, college students that are on their way to being professionals. 
um, that we could go and do repertoire at the universities, make concerts uh, around this Metroplex. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of on the on the front. It's in the middle burner. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about it and we're starting to make plans. Um, the quartet has a new work by Sparrows Mazdis that we were going to perform at the World Saxophone Congress in Japan, but it got canceled. The, the conference did. So we're trying to figure out when we might premiere a new quartet work by Spiros Mazis. He's a Greek composer. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I've got on the on the docket right now. Good for you. So where can my listeners find you on social media? I've got a Facebook page, which is just facebook.com forward slash right sacks, you know, and that has some information there. But basically, um, YouTube, which is right sacks, if you just search right sacks, W-R-I-G-H-T-S-A-X um, on YouTube, um, you can see pretty much all that I'm doing there. And uh, between those two places, that's that's what I've got going on as far as social media. David, it's been a pleasure interviewing you, and I wish you all the best as a continued um, great music educator and a phenomenal saxophonist, and I hope our paths cross again in the near future. I'm sure they will, Scott. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. David, have a great day. Happy holidays, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Scott. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and could hear why my guest got chops. You can follow my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Anchor.fm, and stay connected between episodes on Instagram at GotChopsPodcast. Join me on the next episode when we discover why my next guest got chops. <laughs>